0: O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble, and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Those are the first three verses of Psalm 107, the first 32 verses of which are the psalm appointed for today, Friday, November the 18th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We are continuing our look at the um, prophecy of Malachi, the final prophecy of the Old Testament, Um, chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, also in Luke's Gospel, chapter 18, the first eight verses, and then in James' letter, chapter 5, verses 7 to 12. So in this Malachi passage today, he says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Now, John would be the messenger who uh, is being sent, who will prepare the way before the Lord. He says that's exactly what his mission is, is to prepare the way before Jesus. And so then Jesus came suddenly to the temple, and the messenger of the covenant, behold, he's coming, says the Lord of hosts, and so it's 400 years later after Malachi's prophecy, that Jesus appears. Did they greet him with joy? No. We know how they greeted him. The people greeted him with joy, but the leadership did not. The leadership despised him because he threatened their hegemony and their leadership. The people went after Jesus instead of after them, and he wasn't the kind of Messiah that they wanted him to be. He said, who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? Now, that's exactly the message John had. It was John thought that he was preparing the people for Jesus to come in judgment. The... Pharisees and the other leaders thought that there was going to be a Messiah coming to be the Messianic King who would sit on David's throne, who would throw the Romans out and most likely lift them, the Pharisees and the other leaders, into positions of authority, and they would sit at his right and left hand. And so when this guy comes from Galilee and begins to gather these people and doesn't seem to be doing either the thing John expected or the thing that the Pharisees expected, everybody was a little bit confused. The Uh, disciples wanted to be at the right and left hand. Everybody wanted the same sorts of things, except John. Uh, John actually wanted to prepare the people, but he kind of used Jesus as a fulcrum against the Pharisees, believing that soon Jesus would come and would judge these people, because he knew who the Messiah was. And so he had an expectation for a Messiah in the same way that, that the Pharisees had one, and they were both wrong. And so that's the reason when Malachi says, who can endure the day of his coming? That's like John's message. The one who will prepare the way. And then he says, for he is like a refiner's fire and fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. So that, that, that's where it begins. Judgment be- was, was to begin, is to begin at the house of the Lord, with the priests of the Lord. And Malachi has already impugned their integrity. He has already said, you guys are, are bad priests. You're not fulfilling the law, and by doing what you're doing, you're teaching the people that the law is nothing, and therefore you're teaching that the lawgiver is nothing as well. So then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years, unlike today then I will draw, this is a quote now, then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. And judgment always begins at the house of the Lord. I mean, that's always the case. That's the reason that he sends prophets to warn the people inside the, inside the household about what's to come because judgment begins there and what he wants is a people prepared for that day of judgment who have accepted the word of the prophets and who will turn and return to him he said for i the lord do not change therefore you o children of jacob are not consumed because he's he, he is in covenant with them and he is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and all those things from the days of your fathers you've turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them so going back a, more than one generation He said, it's not just you all. This has been going on a while. Return to me, and I'll return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. Hey, you say, how have we robbed you? I mean, this is so typical. I've said this so many times, it's unbelievable, and and it condemns me, too. I'm not picking on other people without picking on myself. But the, the hardest thing to do, I'm convinced that the hardest work of the Holy Spirit is to convict a Christian of sin. I mean, we can we can justify pretty much anything, and we do. We justify it in our own minds. We don't even think we have to bother justifying it to God most of the time. So we ask questions like, "How have we robbed you?" And he says, "In your tithes and contributions, bring the full." You're cursed with a cursed for you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And so what he's saying is is that you're robbing me by not bringing the full tithe. Well, there are so many people that will argue that in the New Testament church, there's nothing like a tithe. Jesus commends the tithe. He says, you do well to do these things, but then you forget that justice and mercy are the the really important things. It doesn't mean that, that the tithe no longer means anything. It has nothing to do with that. But I've had so many people argue about this, it's unbelievable. And so it's, as I said, Christians will absolutely justify anything. Like I said, I had a guy who wanted who who I got ordained, and I wouldn't allow him to come to leadership meetings, and, and he got upset with me and, and said, why can't I come to leadership meetings? I said, because you don't give a dime. You don't give anything at all to the church. And no, I'm not going to bless you and make you a leader when I expect that from the lay leadership in the church. And, and but, but I don't have to do that. Jesus never said anything about the tithe. Yes, he did. Yes, he did, period, end of sentence. And, but it's it's the way that we do this thing is, is that we, we, we deal with the things that we like, the things that don't particularly convict us. It's a whole lot easier to talk about other people's sin, right? I mean, it's a lot easier to talk about people who do things that I don't have any temptation to do and make those things and elevate those things to the worst possible things anybody can do, and that's exactly what we tend to do. He says, bring the full tithe. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need. So he says, put me to the test. I said that I'll bless you if you do this thing. Do it. See what happens. He says, I'll rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. And there there's certainly been times in the United States when the church was a place of great blessing, when it was blessed by God. That's not too much true anymore. We, we We see that we've been unfaithful and we've robbed God, and we've done exactly what what is being criticized here. We've turned away from him. we've turned away from the truth. We've said what well, we don't know about this, and we've we've used critical uh, thinking methods to question things that have been pretty straightforward in the Bible and been pretty well understood by everybody for generations and generations, for thousands literally of years. Now we're not so sure it says that, you know, and we're listening to the voice of Satan, the same voice that spoke to Eve in the garden and said, did he really say? And that we've got to come back to truth. We've got to be a people committed to the truth again, in the Gospel today, Jesus told a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man, and there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, "Give me justice against my adversary for a while. He refused. He just got his back up and hmm, I don't have to do anything for this woman she who is she to demand this of me? I'm an important personage here, and she's just this well widow that." you know, she didn't have any leverage to put on me, but for a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I'll give her justice so that she won't beat me down by her continual coming. I mean, justice is justice. He didn't even question what justice was in this situation. He was just so aloof and arrogant that he wasn't going to bother giving this woman judgment because she was a nobody and he was, well, the ultimate somebody. So, after that, he finally decided, well, she's wearing me out, and I'm tired of this, and so I just want to get on with it and move on with life, so let's get this done. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and won't God give justice to his elect who cry to him by night and day? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give them justice speedily. Now, it's hard to d- determine exactly what speedily means in it in the Lord's economy, and it's it's not when He's good and ready; it's when the time is right, when it's perfect, and it might be costly for a lot of people. I mean, look at the Holocaust. Clearly, the Jewish community suffered for a long time. They suffered and died over a long period of time. It was a horrible, horrific kind of thing that happened. God had a had a greater purpose in all these things. We can't know these things. I mean, that's the thing that that sometimes his ways are so inscrutable that that we can just question and question and question and say, Lord, I don't understand. I do not understand why this took so long, because justice would have been easy to define. Anybody could have defined what justice was, and it certainly didn't involve the murder of six million Jews. It, It wouldn't have required that at all. But ultimately, we don't know is the thing. You know, sometimes we just have to rely on the sovereignty of God even if it costs us dearly personally. And even when we try and see what goes on in the world and understand what's going on in the world and why God doesn't act in certain situations, I'm not able to question him ultimately. I can, I can be upset, but, but what I'm called to do is to pray earnestly. So in these situations where, where we need to see justice in the world, that what we need to do is pray and pray, and pray, and pray, and pray, and pray. It needs to become a burden for us, a constant burden. The eyes of the world were not on Hitler, didn't know what he was doing, had no earthly idea what was going on in uh, Germany, and, and the Allied troops were just shocked and stunned when they came into Germany and found those concentration camps. So there weren't enough people praying because enough people didn't know what was happening. But there were other places where justice was denied such as when um, a cargo ship coming from Germany comes to Cuba and to the United States, and we deny entry, and it's filled with German Jews who are then sent back to Germany. So there was injustice here. There was injustice here for, you know, a century or more at the founding of this country when we allowed slavery in the land, And, and we need to repent of those things. We need to acknowledge that those things have been done. However, we don't need to do self-flagellation forever and ever and ever. We need to acknowledge those things will be done, have been done and to make sure that those things never, ever, 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 ever happen again and that we need to make sure of that. And, and you know, we took a half step really for a hundred years after the Civil War and that half step was, was to sort of separate but equal. There's no such thing. And so we need to be aware of, of sin in our own lives and, and in our own attitudes. We need to, to be quick to turn from those things, and we need to, to acknowledge them as sin, and we need to repent of those things and to ensure that things can't happen again. And so this injustice, like I said, you get the Holocaust, you get slavery, and you get you know, so many other injustices in this world then how do we deal with those things? You know, we, we, the war watched in 1994 as genocide erupted in Rwanda and 800,000 people were killed in about 90 days. And the U.N. sent troops there, but the troops were given a mandate to, you can only fire and you can only react if you've been fired upon. Well, nobody ever fired upon them because they weren't the ones they were mad at. And so these soldiers had to sit and watch. And Romeo Dallaire, who was the head of that U.N. peacekeeping force, whatever the, that means, ended up killing himself because he could have done something and was not allowed to. And he questioned himself whether he should have taken the initiative anyway during that period of time. But the Dora watched, and, and the church watched, and our country watched, And we parsed the language and said, like, we believe that acts of genocide may be committed. And they said, well, what is an act of genocide if it's not genocide? And they said, we're choosing our words very carefully here. And the reason they chose words very carefully there was under the Geneva Convention. If genocide were happening, we had to do something. So we called it acts of genocide so that we didn't have to take action because we didn't know what to do. We didn't know who the good guys were and who the bad guys were. At least that was what we said. And so we have to, we as a people, we have to keep our eyes open and we have to know what's going on around the world in order that we can pray and join that chorus and, and cause justice to happen more speedily because we've prayed and we've engaged ourselves in the work of asking God to bring justice. It's important that we, the church, are involved in that work because justice is the most important thing that we can do. Justice and mercy are the two most important things that we do. In the passage from James, he says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruits of the earth, being patient about it until he receives the early and the late rains. So I've I've already planted things, and I'm waiting now for, for these things to happen. But what he's waiting on, he's waiting on the early rains and the late rains. Well, where do those come from? Well, those are things he can't control. Those are things that come from heaven. That's God's purview. And so the farmer has done all that he can do, and now he waits for God to do what God has promised he will do. And I I think I probably told you this before. One of the things that they do whenever after the rainy season, when the the dry season comes, they stop praying for rain because it's not the season for rain. And, And so it would be silly in some ways for them to pray for rain is the way they look at it. And so what they do is they thank God every day for the dew, the dew that continues to bring growth and life to the earth and so they become thankful for the dew for this long period of time. And sometimes we need to, to be better at giving thanks for the dew because if we don't give thanks for the dew, then we can't properly ask for the rain. If we're not thankful for the daily provision that God gives us, then how do we how do we turn around then and demand extraordinary provision from him? We need to be better always at giving thanks for the daily provision of God. He says you also be patient. Establish your hearts For the coming of the Lord is at hand. And what does it mean to establish your heart? That word is strengthen your hearts really is what it means. So it means be firmly rooted and strong in your faith. Be steadfast, immovable. So make up your minds and don't waver between two opinions. Don't doubt. No, stand firm in faith. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. You know, that's one of the things that was, that was fiercely judged in the wilderness, and that was the grumbling and the murmuring that happened against the leadership, and, and, and God had no patience or tolerance for that. <clears throat> As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those, who ble- those blessed who remained steadfast, even though they suffered. You've heard the steadfastness of Job. And you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. I mean, it, I, I don't ever recall encouraging somebody to look at Job and understand understand God by looking at the steadfastness of Job. You know, I, I, I would be hard-pressed to look at somebody in a, in a place of suffering and struggle and tell them, consider Job, dude. You know, he went through a lot worse than you did, and he remained steadfast. He says, you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how he's compassionate and merciful, and ultimately he was, but he didn't restore Job's children. He gave him new children, but he didn't restore those to life that he had lost. And so, yes, God's compassionate and merciful, and and sometimes it's difficult for us to see his compassion and his mercy because, well, we wanted it to come in a different way. And so we reject what he does in favor of what we prefer. And, and we need to be careful about that. That needs to be something that we need to always be quick to lay before the Lord and say, this is what I wanted, but I'll accept what you send because I believe that that must be better for me because you know better than I do. There's a humility that we, we should come before the Lord with. We should come boldly before the throne in prayer, but we should also come with humility and thanksgiving With the recognition that he is good and the ultimate signal and the sign of his goodness is his son and his sacrifice on the cross and his gracious gift of eternal life to us and if we valued that more the world might change actually if they saw that christians truly were thankful people and they were thankful for everything and they were thankful primarily for the for the sacrifice of jesus on the cross and the gift of eternal life if, we saw, if, if they saw that those things were actually really, really valuable to us and that we were pursuing God's kingdom with all our hearts instead of pursuing basically the same things the world does, then they would probably think differently about the gospel. It would probably be more meaningful to them, more attractive to them. And that's exactly what the Malachi passage says. Look, if you, if you bring the full tithe into the storehouse, I'll bless you beyond your ability to contain that blessing. And then the world, the nations, will say, oh my gosh, look at those people. But that only happens when you're pursuing him with your whole heart. We only see justice. We only see God act speedily, in our terms, in justice, when we pray, when when we set it as our heart's desire, and when we're open eyes and paying attention to what's going on around us rather than just what happens to us. I think really and truly that 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 if the church valued eternal life more and if we held that standard up more and people began to pursue it and began to pursue the kingdom of god and his righteousness then the world would see god's blessing poured out on his church and on his people and and they would see the value uh, initially they would see it in the wrong way but ultimately if you're seeking after the lord he's going to change your heart he's going to show you the truth and I think that would be a wonderful thing if we could be those people, if the church were those people who were pursuing him with their whole hearts. He said, but above all, brothers, don't swear either by earth or heaven or by any other oath, but just let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. And what would the condemnation come in for? Well, it would come in for failing to keep that oath. So just say yes or no. There's no reason for you to swear. But, but ultimately, like I said, I'm really convicted about this today. That God's saying, I think, that that we need to pursue his kingdom, and his kingdom looks like justice and righteousness and mercy and all those things. And if we pursued those things with our whole heart, then the world would see the blessedness of his people, the blessedness of his church, and the passion and the compassion of the church would then change the world.